We're in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and we had finished up uh, talking about Joseph, and recall Joseph had been Egyptianized, and then last week we talked about verse 23, which was what happened when Moses was born, and, and uh, the situation with his parents, and now we're in verse 24. Let me cover 1124, and what we're doing is we're reading about these these men and women of faith and then going back and looking at them in the context of the Old Testament to learn more about them. But Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 is but says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So this portion, these two verses, verse 24 and uh, 20, these three verses, 24, 25, and 26, deal more with the time when Moses first started going and interacting with the children of Israel. And then in verse 27, which we'll cover next time, it's, it's more uh, uh, when he comes back and he's leading them out of Egypt. So in verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, so it particularly tells us that there's a time when he grew up. So it's not when he was young. Remember, when he was young, he was turned over by, by his own mother because they were killing all the, all the, the Hebrew children. And, and uh, she, he was turned over by, by, by his mother to uh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter raised him. And we'll, we'll learn more about that. But when he had grown up, and it turns out when he was about 40 years old, he was approaching 40 years old, he decided that he was no longer going to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that, it says, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So in other words, while he was growing up, people referred to him as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was Pharaoh's grandson. He was educated in their environment, which we'll see. But he says he chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He made a choice when he was about 40 years old to go and to relate to the Hebrew people. It's, a, it, it, it's interesting that this is juxtaposed to Joseph who didn't go back to his own people. Here you see him going back to his own people. And he wanted to endure ill treatment with them rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Because he considered the reproach of Christ, it says, or the reproach of the coming Messiah, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking to the reward. He was looking for something greater. He made a decision at that point in his life. And so if we look, if we look at uh, uh, Matthew chapter 8, there's an admonition for us in Matthew chapter 8, that is uh, uh, directly addresses some things about us. In Matthew chapter 8, we can start reading from verse 34. This is Jesus speaking. And he summoned the crowds with his disciples and he said to them. So who's the context? It's his disciples and the crowd. So not just the 12, not just the 70 disciples, but the whole crowd. He started telling them this. He starts telling them this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself 
Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So he says, if we want to come after Jesus, Jesus is the one who places this bar quite high. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In other words, it's not about me anymore. If we really desire to follow Jesus, it's not about ourselves anymore. It's not about me. It's about him. There is a change that occurs. He is very gracious in reaching down to us. But now there's a change that occurs. He says, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This wasn't just for his 12 disciples or for the 70. This was the crowds he's speaking to. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. You see what he calls us out to. Jesus calls us to much more. You see the same thing in Moses. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Will we make a decision to follow him? This is serious business. And most people who will name themselves as Christians never really understand this because they've never thought about these verses. But it's Jesus himself who's speaking this. He says there's got to be self-denial. It's not always about me. It's not always about how much sleep am I going to get. It's spending time with Him. It's not always about my comfort. It's Him and the Gospel's sake. He says, but for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospel's will save it. There are times of embarrassment when we walk with the Lord where we have to stand up for things and if we just keep quiet, nothing will happen. But it's when we speak up, things happen. People will say things. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And then he says in verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus says, if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us when he returns. That means when he's introducing us, introducing us, he'll just, oh, you don't want him. Just push him aside. He says he'll be ashamed of him. He will be ashamed of us if we're ashamed of him. He calls us to something much higher. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 2 and look more at the life of Moses. Exodus chapter 2. And in Exodus chapter 2, we had covered some of this last time, but let's pick it up at verse 10. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, and said, because I drew him out of water, because the name Moses means drawing out of water. So it says, Pharaoh's daughter, she brought him, so Moses' mother brought him and presented him to Pharaoh's daughter, and because she knew that was the only way that this kid was going to live. She could not keep the son alive because they were under command of Pharaoh that every Hebrew male child had to be thrown into the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter had reached out to this child, saw him in this, in this basket, in the reeds, and her heart went out to him. And this happens very often with young women. They, 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 can, they can see someone or something in need and their heart just goes out toward it. It's sort of like 
a, a young woman can find a, a, a stray puppy, and all of a sudden it's like their life changes over this stray puppy. And, 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 and it's not just their life, it's their whole family has to support them in taking care of this stray puppy. And, and, uh, and so she sees this kid, and she wants to really take care of this kid. It says, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She took in Moses as if that were her own son. Verse 11, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and he looked on their labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And so remember, in the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, they referred to the Jewish people not as Jews, they referred to them as Hebrews. You see this pattern throughout the books. He says, it says, when he had grown up. Now it came about in those days when he had grown up. The same words that are used in the New Testament. When he had grown up. And we're going to see where it documents that this time he was, he was about 40 years old. When he had grown up, he went out to his brethren. He calls them his brethren. In other words, all the people that he had grown up with in Pharaoh's home. Here he is in the palace of Pharaoh growing up. He could well have said, I have nothing to do with the Hebrews. I'm Pharaoh's grandson. He was educated in the best of their ways. How we'll see. But he rejects all of that and he feels this longing to go to what he calls his brethren. These are his brethren. He doesn't even say, I'm going to go out to the Hebrews. He says, I'm going to go out to my brothers. You see the oneness he feels with the people of God, even though they are suffering. He says he went out to his brethren and he looked on their labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Again, this wasn't just a Hebrew person being beaten. This is one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Okay, so the Egyptian has stopped beating this one. Everyone else is gone. Everyone is dispersed. And we're going to see how Moses interceded for this person. But now no one else is around. It says he looked this way and he looked that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. So there was no one else around. The beating had stopped. It wasn't like he had to kill this person in, in, in order to stop the beating. The beating's over. There's no one else around. So why do you look this way and that and then do something? Because you don't want anybody to see you do it. Moses knows that this is wrong, what he's about to do. If he thought it was right, he would have said, Hey, watch. He waited till no one else was around. He killed the guy and he hid his body in the sand. Why hide him in the sand? If what he was doing was so noble and so great, he would have made a public spectacle of it and said, look at what I did to this man. That's what will happen if you beat a Hebrew. No, he hid his body in the sand. Moses now becomes a murderer. He took a man's life. Moses took a man's life. And he knew it was wrong because he looked this way and that. Because he hid his body in the sand. Is God going to let him get away with this? No. 
He's going to pay a 40-year sentence for this. A 40-year sentence for this. And he's going to learn to never raise his hand again to another man. And what you'll see in Moses' life, after that 40-year sentence, whenever people came against him, he never raised his own hand. Because the Bible clearly says, vengeance belongs to the Lord. If he had interceded and killed the man in the act of beating, that could have been an intercession. But this was a clear murder. He looked this way and that. It was premeditated. It wasn't like a murder, something of passion. No, he had time to calculate. He looked this way and that. He waited until nobody was around. There was no danger anymore. No one was in danger. And then he killed the guy. And he hid his body in the sand. That's how Moses starts out. That's how he starts out in his ministry. Starts out as a murderer. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? So all of a sudden he becomes consoler in chief. He goes from murderer yesterday to all of a sudden, let me reconcile you to Hebrews. You see the hypocrisy of this? I mean, the guy's a murderer. He just killed somebody the day before. And now he's trying to reconcile two men who are arguing? And he says, why are you striking your companion? Why am I hitting him in the face? You mean as opposed to taking a club and killing him? All of a sudden, he's judging one guy over another? Just for having an argument? You see how quick the hypocrisy can rise up where we do things and we start judging other people and Jesus puts it this way that, that uh, you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye and there's a log in your own eye. I mean, think about the metaphor that Jesus gives to us. There's a, he says there's a log in your eye. So that means coming out of your eye is a log and you've got a pair of forceps and you're like, let me take that, that speck out of your eye for you. That's, that's the picture that Jesus paints. And you see this all the time. As Hollywood and politicians, everything is crashing down around them. It's interesting you see these newscasters talking about other people. And then a week later, they're exposed. But this is exactly what human beings do. Such hypocrisy. He's worried about their little spat. And he's a murderer just the day before. He was so blind he couldn't even see what he had done. And so he said to him, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Or in our terminology, we would say, Who died and made you God? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. He looked this way and that, but somebody was watching. You know, there was some hidden camera somewhere. Somebody saw it. So they said, you're trying to resolve this between us? You're a murderer. What, are you, what, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. 
So you see Moses up there. Moses was afraid. If Moses had done something right, something noble, something glorious, why is he afraid? Moses was afraid and he said, surely the matter has become known. He thought it was secret. We think that our little sins are secret. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and he settled in the land of Midian. That means he goes from Egypt all the way through that, 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 uh, that wilderness area that the Jews are going to end up spending 40 years wandering through, all the way to the other side of the Jordan, on the other side of the Dead Sea, into the land of Midian. So he's on the other side of the land of Canaan. And he's sitting by a well, and he meets, uh, he meets a, a, a young woman, uh, the, the daughters of Jethro, who are shepherdesses, or, or uh, women's shepherds. And, they, they, uh, and he goes and he, he uh, protects them a little bit. Here he's impressing them. And, and so they're really amazed. So anyway, their father gives them one of his daughters. And so he gets married, and it says now in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3, this is now 40 years later, now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So Moses is now a shepherd for 40 years. What is the penalty that God enacts upon him for killing a man? 40 years. 40 years of being a shepherd. Well, is being a shepherd bad? Well, it says in, in, uh, in Genesis 46, verse 34, that shepherds were loathsome to the Egyptians. There is nothing lower that you could do if you are an Egyptian than being a shepherd. Nothing lower. You know, we get, you may have to clean porta potties, porta toilets. No, that's not as bad as being a shepherd in the eyes of an Egyptian. He goes from the palace of Pharaoh, from the grandson, the perceived grandson of Pharaoh, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, to being the lowest job he could possibly have. There is a penalty for sin. God was not going to let him get away with it. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, because there's, there's all this, this beautiful material that comes out in Acts chapter 7. This is when Stephen is giving a defense for himself. He brings in a lot of things that we never get from our Old Testament. So how did Stephen get this? Probably from the oral law. Probably from the traditions of the Jewish people, which they have to this day. Lots of details are not there. But then he, 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 he codifies it by making it part of the Scriptures. And he says in verse 20, in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, it was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and nurtured him as her own son. The same thing that said, at least in English, that he was nurtured in his, father, in his parents' home, Pharaoh's daughter nurtured him, took care of him and treated her as if he was her own son. That's what young women do. They, they just, when they get hold of something, they, they just, just, it becomes part of their life. Then it says in verse 22, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Moses 
was educated in the whole ways of the Egyptians, which makes total sense. Here he is, Pharaoh's daughter's son, Pharaoh's grandson. He's going to get the best of the education. Moses was highly educated in the house of Pharaoh, probably had his own educators, his own private education team around him, his own tutoring. And he was a man of power in words and deeds. Remember this. Because ultimately, one of Moses' complaint when God's called him is he's going to say, you know, I've never been eloquent and I'm not eloquent now. Which was either a false humility or he had lost it during that 40 years of torment being a shepherd. And I'll tell you, that land that he was a shepherd in, all going through that wilderness where the Jews are going to be walking, where the Hebrews are going to be walking for 40 years, he knew that territory, every square foot of it, because he had been a shepherd there for 40 years. And it is a rough, rough desert. It is not a comfortable place at all. His skin was probably like leather from that blazing sun. Prior to that, he had lived 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh. Highly educated. A man of power in words and deeds. He lost everything in making a decision to follow the Lord. And then in making a decision to go against the ways of God, taking vengeance into his own hands, he ends up in the wilderness. But remember, he was a man of power in words, which means he's articulate, and in deeds. He had done many great things. He was well known in Pharaoh's house. Well known. Because he was a man of power in words and deeds. Trained in the house of Pharaoh. But when he was approaching the age of 40, there's where we find out the age, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down an Egyptian. He took vengeance. That was his downfall. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. There are going to be many men that come against Moses. In the wilderness. And he never takes his own vengeance. In fact, the scriptures say that Moses became the most humble man on earth. God always took care of those who came against Moses. God's special way of taking care of it was he would have the ground open up and the people would fall right into the ground with their whole families. That's how God took care of Moses after that. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. So Moses thought that here he is coming out to meet his Hebrew brethren, and they're going to understand that he's to deliver them. In fact, he knew in his heart he was to be the deliverer of these people. God had placed him in that place, in Pharaoh's home to get all this education, to be taught all these things because he was to be their deliverer. And he starts to go out to them and he thinks they understand this. But they don't. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Man, you're brethren. Why do you injure one another? 
But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So, this brings out more for us. It says, it says that, he, he says, men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away. Moses had never been pushed before. You don't push the grandson of Pharaoh. Here, he tries to, to take care. And one of the guys sees Moses and pushes him away. This had never happened to Moses before. I mean, his world is being shaken. He was going to be deliverer. God had called him to be deliverer, but he took his own vengeance. And his world was crashing down. And they didn't recognize him. Moses goes through a 40-year period of being just a shepherd, the most loathsome thing that you could be. 40 years wandering in the wilderness as a shepherd for a priest. Generally, priests aren't super wealthy. And he's the shepherd for a priest. This is what his life is. He goes from being at the top of the world and he got all this education and he realized he was supposed to do this for the good of his brethren. He realized he was supposed to do this for the good of his brethren. There are things that we go through that God is preparing us for. For the good of others. God prepares us for the good of others. Have you ever thought about why you're getting this education or you just kind of think, well, I just kind of fell into it. That's normally what we think. I fell into it. I grew up in this home and, you know, in our home what we do is we go to college. And college. God may be preparing you for something. He may be preparing you so that you're in a place that impacts people. Where your education allows you to do something that you never could have done otherwise where you go through all of this. God opens up all sorts of doors. You think that every day that Moses went to school that he realized God was preparing him for this? No, it wasn't until he got to a certain point point. he's like, wow, I can really influence a lot of people through this. And he thought about this. Now he had this hiccup along the way where he ha happened to kill somebody. And God wasn't going to let him get away with that. He said, you're going to have to pay a 40-year penalty for that. So God puts it on hold for 40 years. Could have been 40 years sooner had he not blown it. But God did that. God had a plan for him. In my home, it was always spoken of that we would go to college. There was, there was no understanding in any other way. My parents spoke about, when you're done with high school, you're going to go to college. That's just... I thought everybody went to college after, after high school. I mean, just, just, just what we did. I didn't realize it until I was nearing the end of college. That, wow, maybe I can go and get a PhD and go on a campus and start reaching students on a campus. Didn't start all coming together. And so when I'm doing my PhD, I'm reaching out and doing and serving in, in these ways, always with this vision in mind. That if I'm a professor, I can be a Christian professor and start impacting people. And so when I go to graduate school, who ends up being my pastor? But a guy who's a professor in entomology, and he's the pastor of the church. 
So I have this model before me of a man who's a professor who's also pastoring a church. So you can do that. And he had all this impact on students because he was a professor on campus. Who knows what God's plan is for you? But may He be preparing you for something much greater. And there are going to be failures along the way. Moses gave all sorts of excuses. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. Look at all these portions in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, where God comes to him. He says, he says, you know, I'm not eloquent. He said, you're going to speak. He said, I'm not eloquent. He says, okay, I'll get your brother to speak for you. He says, well, I'll go to them, and what if they don't believe me? He says, I'll give you all these signs. He, said, he gave him all sorts of excuses. And then it finally says, and God's anger was burning against Moses. I mean, can you imagine God's anger burning against you? It's like, Sorry. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll go, okay? Let's calm down. He gave all sorts of excuses. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, God allows all sorts of things to happen in our lives to prepare us and to make us ready for the task that's before us. Moses had it in his heart to do something. And so he went out and he started to try to do it, but he wasn't ready yet because he didn't know how to control his temper. He didn't know how to control this feeling of vengeance in his heart. It took 40 years to break that. Let's look into 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. This is Paul speaking. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might be taken, that it, that it might leave me. Okay, so Paul was given these amazing revelations. Paul was taken up, it says, to the third heaven. And many things were revealed to him. When Paul got saved, he didn't sit at the feet of one of the apostles and get taught. It says Jesus Christ himself taught Paul. Imagine that. Just as Jesus taught the disciples, Jesus taught Paul. And it wasn't overnight. Jesus, he, he got sent away for 14 years of training. And part of that, he was taken up to the third heaven and the Son of God himself is teaching Paul. You wonder where Paul got all these revelations. He went up to the third heaven. Now, Paul could come back from that experience and think, wow, I am just so educated. I know so much more than all these other people. I'm really amazing. Just amazing, actually. It says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, because of the revelations that were given to me, for this reason, in verse 7, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. For this reason. Why? God allowed something to come into his life. It's not known. Some people think it's his eyes were not good that he couldn't see very well because there's references to, do you see how I'm writing this with my own hand in this large writing of my own hand? In other words, that he had to write very largely so that he himself could see what he was writing. 
I don't know. We don't really know what the thorn in the flesh was. Was it that his eyesight was, was so bad? We don't know. But there was something, and the Bible even calls it a messenger. Paul himself calls it a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. He was so concerned, God was so concerned about Paul exalting himself that he let an affliction come into his life to keep him from exalting himself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So he asked the Lord, here's Paul going around and healing everybody, healing all sorts of people. What about himself? There is something tormenting him, terrible pain. This is causing him. And he asked the Lord three times, and each time the Lord says, no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Do you have a weakness? Do you feel that you're not adequate for a task that God might call you to? Welcome to the world of serving Jesus. If you're adequate for the task, you're generally not adequate for the task. There's always a feeling of inadequacy. I was teaching Bible studies from the time that I, I was an undergraduate, teaching Bible studies in the chemistry building. Then I did it when I, was a, when I was a graduate student. Then I did it when I was a postdoc, always teaching these Bible studies. And I always felt, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm too young. I've got to be older. And then I started teaching Bible studies to other people. And, other, and I always felt, I'm too young for this. Then all of a sudden, one day I woke up and I thought, I'm too old for this. Here I am speaking to all these college students and, you know, I don't relate to them. I don't know all these cool stories and, you know, all this hip stuff and, you know, all the, all the things that, that young people do. I don't know all that stuff. Maybe you need some, somebody more hip. Somebody wears tight pants to, to come up here and, and, and to speak to you. You know, I feel too old. You will never feel adequate when you serve the Lord. You will always feel like, this can't be right. There's somebody that can do this better than me. Somebody there. You will always feel that way. And he said, God's response to him is, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. If you feel weak, perfect. Perfect. And this is what makes me every week cry out every morning for this day, for Sunday. I say, Lord, work in my life. Speak through me. Speak to the hearts of these young people through me. Do a work in their lives so they'll get a message that they will always remember. If I felt adequate in myself, if I felt, hey, I know, I know enough. I'm locked and loaded. I can do this. Then there's no power. There's no power. Power comes from God. And when we feel inadequate, and this is why sometimes... You can be, you, you, you can see the power of God be manifest. And to show you how fickle our hearts are, you know it's God's poured out His power and His grace. And God really gave you a victory. And then you walk out of it and I did okay today. And all of a sudden, pride starts coming in. And then the next time, you just fall flat on your face. Oh God, help me. This is what He's talking about. 
He said in verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look, God takes the whole situation and turns it around. So Paul says, I'm glad I have this thing afflicting me. I'm glad for it now. Most gladly, therefore. So he doesn't even say, I'm glad about it. He says, most gladly. Therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I know I can't do this, Paul says, because of this tormenting thing that the, the Satan has come to buffet me. I could never do all this. It's only by the grace of God. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. I'm content with who God has made me. With insults, with distresses, with persecutions. And you get to the point where you get content with, okay, I'm fine with where you put me. Lord, shouldn't it be a bigger person here? I mean, she's a short Jewish guy. I mean, who is he to be speaking? It always comes into my mind when I go up before big crowds. Who am I? I mean, get, get some big handsome guy. You never feel adequate enough. And all these, the, 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 this low self-esteem hitting at us and inflicting upon us. And God takes that and says, you're the person. You're the one I want. Because of those weaknesses you feel, you're the one I want. It's those weaknesses. He says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. So then what happens is, I've learned to be well content with who I am. With insults, with distresses. So when people insult me, they're like, Aren't, aren't you gonna, aren't you gonna go after the guy? No. The guy's right. Really am kind of a nerd. I'm really not that smart. You know, the guy called me an idiot. He's actually right. And I know what the guy's talking about. I'm well content with insults. Because you know who you are. And it actually makes you stronger because your dependency becomes totally on the Lord. I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. It's the weaknesses that make us strong. It's those things that make us strong. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong, he writes. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He takes the whole thing and Moses now at a point... 40 years of being in the wilderness. So now he's 80 years old and God is calling him. He's like, you're calling me now? He's, you're at the perfect point. You've just been driven into the ground in this brutal desert for 40 years. Now you're ready. Now you're ready to deliver your people. When you're weak, then you're strong. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word for the truth of your word. And I pray the Lord that you would work on these young people's hearts, that you would take every bit of their education and their training and that you would use it for your glory, that you would use it to put them in a place where they will speak of the things of God and that even now they would not be ashamed of you or of the gospel, lest you be ashamed of them when you come in the glory of your Father and his holy angels. 
And Father, I pray that you would take these young people with whatever weaknesses they perceive about themselves, with whatever low self-esteem there is, and you use that as a source of strength for them, that you would use it to call upon you, that you would take them, some of them having physical infirmities upon their lives, some having diseases, some having other problems, and that you will use that to be a strength in their lives so that they would keep from exalting themselves and that you would use it, Father, so that they would say, Lord, I thank you for this weakness because it makes me stronger in you. Father, that they would be well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions. Because when they are weak, then they are strong. May they learn to cry out to you for strength, for the glory of Jesus and in his name. And Father, I pray for those here who do not know you. Father, I pray that you would save a soul today, that they would cry out this day, Father, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life that I may know this one, Jesus Christ, who will take me from my state of weakness and give me strength. Father, save a soul this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.